right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? They get the metrics. Welcome to The Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Welcome to the Hookup on Film podcast. My name is Adam. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tony. What's going on, Tony? What's going on, Adam? Not a whole lot. We got an exciting episode. We are talking our top 10 favorite movies and TV shows of 2022. What better way to ring in the new year than to look back at the old? You ready? You excited? Oh, I'm excited. This is this is fogged my brain for a couple weeks now. So this is good to get this out. All right. We are first going to talk about our 10 favorite TV shows of 2022. Do you think 2022 was a good year for TV shows? You know, at first when we started thinking about this, I didn't think that it was going to be... Um, I didn't think it was going to be very hard for me to put together my list, but after I started writing them all down, it wasn't the easiest to come together. I don't think it was the best year by any stretch of means, but uh, definitely there was some good stuff. I uh, I think this was a super deep year. Yeah, I definitely had like my last my last spot in particular, but definitely I think eleven through fifteen all could have easily made an argument to break into the top 10. I just don't think it was it was top heavy. I don't think there was a show that was like, holy shit. Like, there's yeah. no Breaking Bad, Sopranos, Mad Men, Wire type show where it's like, we're going to look back and like, this was very easily the best show of 2022. But I do think that because COVID pushed back a lot of shows, and I think there were a lot of shows, especially at the very beginning of the year, they were trying to get into Emmy contention. Like, I think the, the backlog ended up creating like this glut of like really like B plus A minus TV show for a good stretch of the year. I definitely agree with you with all of that. Definitely. All right. I watched 54 different TV series in 2022, 48 of which came out in 2022. Ooh. That's a good that's a good number yeah. you put together there. I also I also watched 48 different movies that were in 2022 that came out in 2022. That was like that's kind of odd. 48 for both. Yeah, I mean to hit them both on that number is definitely odd. So for me, a lot of my shows that I picked are really I think formally inventive. A lot of shows are like this is kind of pushing the boundaries of what you can do on TV. Um, so that's why I had a really tough spot. You want me to start? Yeah, you could go ahead and start number 10. So I was, for the longest time, like this is like I think my toughest position because like I said, it's so deep. And I don't super love my, my number 10, but there were just other shows that like I thought were really formally amazing shows like uh severance or a show that i just have a lot of time for like i probably would have put fleischman is in trouble in this 
spot, but I haven't finished the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with uh, Andor. Oh, Tony okay. Gilroy show. Yeah. Um, you can streaming on Disney Plus. I, you know, it wasn't a show that I was. I think people absolutely love this show. Like, I've there's a lot of TV critics that I saw like had it number one, and like I get it. Um, this is definitely. 100% what I want out of my Star Wars content. Just Tony Gilroy. The, he's the writer of um, most notably the Bourne series. Um, just being able to you know, this was a really human story. A story that had like barely any aliens. It didn't have any space wizards. Um, but it, it did have some of the best Star Wars set pieces. And especially as the show went on, I was just more and more enthralled with it. You know, it's its ability to, to play in the Star Wars sandbox in such an adult way, and especially compared to the earlier Star Wars shows like Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan that came out also in 2022, which weren't particularly good to being outright bad. The ability to, for Andor to just, like, have Tony Gilroy spend Disney's money to create this like these spy shows and to have Andor like barely be a main character in his own story. I thought Stellan Starsguard was just incredible and their ability to tell this cat and mouse chase, like really get into the Empire. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. And um I said I didn't I didn't love it as much as other people, but I, I really did like it a lot. So that was my number ten uh, show of the year ironically um that was also my number 10 of the year and you actually couldn't have said it any better of the way i felt about the show i mean literally hit every single thing i mean i i liked it but uh you know i i don't think it was it was, it was my favorite in this it was uh i don't know if it was my favorite it was at least top top two of the everything i've seen on tv for the star wars stuff um but Definitely agree with you on everything that you said with that. You know, it's it's hard. You know, I'm not. I love. I like. I like Star Wars a lot, but I'm not somebody who like ever's been like in love with Star Wars. So this storyline has always been one. Um, the Rogue One storyline was one that I've enjoyed. So to see this television show get made finally was definitely pretty cool. Yeah, it's I. It's weird, is because this Andor is, I think, a Star Wars show, not really necessarily meant for Star Wars nerds. Like it is, I think, yeah. meant for people like ourselves who like Star Wars and like will follow it, but we're not in like love with it. Um, and it, it, like this really felt like because Tony Gilroy used so many real life instances of like how rebel insurgencies start when there's a fascistic dictator you know, stepping their foot down, like really the seeds of like, how did the rebel Alliance come to be? And we're starting to see those seeds sprout. And it was, you know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of good in it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the uh, actors are definitely, I mean, compared to, let's say the, um, what was that? The last one they did the last show before this one, was it the Bubba Fett show? They did technically Kenobi. Oh yeah. Kenobi. Uh, before that, the book of Bubba yeah. Fett. I mean, this show, I think his acting is probably the best of all the shows, wouldn't you say? 
I mean, I mean, Stellan Skarsgård towards the end, he has this amazing monologue where he's talking to a rebel spy that's inside the Empire, and it's just like, this is why you hire Stellan Skarsgård, not necessarily for a name to put on your poster, but because he's such an incredible character actor that he's able to deliver this just beautifully moving speech. Like he was so good in the show. There was like so many great actors in the show, but I thought, you know, Stellan like really like rose, like just levitated above the rest. Like the ability to have Tony Gilroy's words in his mouth is just like magic. Definitely. I definitely agree. All right. So let's move on to number nine. Um, So, okay. You are a uh, music guy. So I want to ask you a question. Because yeah. I've I've had this discussion with with people. When an artist releases an album, would you prefer okay, same artist, two albums. Mm-hmm. One album, both have ten tracks. Mm-hmm. One album is like five of the tracks are like the best songs the artist has ever done, but the other five are kind of poo-poo. Okay. Versus album number two, whereas the songs are all solid, you know, above average, but definitely doesn't hit the highs that you know that band is capable of. Mm-hmm. Which album do you prefer? Ooh, oh, I, it's, uh, I mean, if you're talking about a cohesive listen, I guess it would be album two, but uh, the bigger hits are on album one. So I guess I would prefer what your preference would be. Yeah, I'm I'm a album one type guy. I really like an album that's like, give me your five best songs of all time, and if the other songs are just kind of eh, whatever, I'll just listen to the five on repeat. Okay. And that is why I really I have Better Call Saul on my list. Okay, Better Call Saul. So Better Call Saul, I think everyone you know, season six, that's final season, um, aired this year. It technically aired in two parts. Um, I you know. It kind of worked out the way because the latter half of the season will be eligible for the Emmys next year versus the first part was eligible for the Emmys this year. Um, but they do also claim that some of it had to do with Bob Odenkirk's health, who very um, famously had a heart attack in the middle of shooting. Um, you know, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. Vince Gilligan, creator of Breaking Bad. Vince Gilligan, uh, Peter Gould, creator of um, the Salt character. And I bring up that album comparison. It's because that's kind of how I felt about the season. When we talked about our top 10 shows, uh, Midway Point, Better Call Saul was hands down my number one show because the first half of the season I thought was incredible. And then like an episode or two afterwards when it came back, when it um, dealt with the Lalo character, I thought this show is, is great. You know, Better Call Saul is just hands down just like the best show on television but then i got into the 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 nebraska stuff and the post breaking bad world and it's been a lot of time doing it the whole carol burnett stuff and the black and white stuff where i get that the creators and the writers are trying to be a little bit more daring and, and a lot of people you know you know on twitter a lot of it resonated with a lot of people. It just to me, and I think you feel the same way when we talked about it at the time, just did not work. And for me, like that's why it's it's number nine on my list, where it was like clearly number one with just dealing with the current timeline, but I thought they were too cute by half. 
And so I dropped it down my rankings to number nine. I mean, that's that's a fair place for it. It did not make my top ten, but yeah. uh, it's definitely fair that it should be. I mean, definitely a wrap up of a series. You know, I think the the gene stuff. We have to talked about this before a little too much on the gene stuff in those last couple episodes. Um, you know, my number nine I picked. It's a controversial number nine because I know. Well, number one, I know that you're not a, a fan of the show. And number two, I know that it got canceled this year. And my list is specifically picked on shows that I found the most entertaining. And you talked about it at the beginning. You what did you you said actually said it very well. And I can't believe I already forgot it. You said you picked shows that were really formally inventive. Very formally inventive. And I think this show was very formally inventive. I don't know what happened. Um, it's written by Christopher Nolan's brother. Um, oh, it's Westworld! The last, it's the last season of Westworld. Um, now, I got to admit, though, for myself, I am a huge fan of the trippy out there, um, and and this uh, this show was definitely out there. And I mean, speaking of Breaking Bad, doesn't the last season have Aaron Paul in it? Yeah, and his and his character was really awesome. Just a lot. I mean, a lot of good actors: Dandy Newton, Jeffrey Wright, Evan Rachel Wood. Um, Luke Hemsworth, James Marsden, but Ed Harris. But that being said, I liked it a lot because of the cinematography, the way it looked. Um, the story, you know, I could see if you're picking up for it and just start watching it from season four, it's going to be a little bit confusing. But that's my pick for nine. Yeah, I, I bailed after season I know, a two. lot of people did, and rightfully so. I don't even, I'm a sucker for, I don't know if I've ever bailed on a television show. So like, and I'm the same with, so maybe that I, I need to learn how to do that. I've learned that this year that I'm not going to force myself to watch everything anymore. And if I don't like it, I'm, I'm, I'm bailing. I don't, my time is not worth it anymore, but this one, I liked it cause I stuck with it. Um, What's crazy. So do the last season, but whatever. So this was a show that like aired on HBO, but you can't find it on HBO anymore. They just like. Got rid of it off of its service. Really? It's not on HBO? Oh, wow. No, yeah. It's it's for another... Um, there's, like, HBO's kind of having some, like, financial troubles and, like, a way to <laughs> save money or something. Yeah. A show I really love this. It's not on my top ten, but it is in my next year. It's a show called Minx. And yeah. nobody, but nobody watched that show, but it's the same thing where, like, it's just... It's off the service. Well, that's what worries me is they have had some shows, like you just said, Minx and... I watched one this past year. It was kind of a, like a horror one. It was called The Baby. But, you know, I, I think they're scaling back some of their – they're not like Netflix where they're just going to keep pawning out the money for everything, showing that they couldn't – they didn't even wrap up Westworld. So, I don't know. I think HBO wanted Westworld to be its flagship show, especially after Game of Thrones ended. Oh, yeah, and I, th- I think the audience, for the most part, largely rejected it. I'll be really honest with you, and this is why. Um, we got a movie coming out this month. It's called Plane. Did you see this movie? Uh, yes, the Gerard Butler movie. You know, and 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 this this is the direct opposite of that. This is like, and I'll be honest with you, and I, I was told by a lot of people, a lot of people want to sit down and watch a thing and relax. This is like you need to use your mind. It's almost like work. Not a lot of people like that at all. And I, that's why I don't think it resonated with a whole lot of people. It's like a thinking show. I mean, would you Game of Thrones? I don't know if you had to think that much for that show. This is what they wanted to replace Game of Thrones with, and it didn't succeed at all in that. 
in that in that game. In that so game. you know how Inception is a metaphor for directing. Yes. So there was a lot of season one where Westworld was a metaphor for writing a show, mm-hmm. and I kind of think it just fell on its face. Versus, I thought Inception really landed the you know metaphorical plane. Um, with that analogy, I just there was like a lot of you know story. You know, they're talking about the storyline and how's the story going to end, and the, like different characters in the story. Uh, and... I I'm the fool. I'm I'm the fool who you know like 15, 20 years ago I watched the original movie directed by Michael Crichton. Yeah. So when they said they came out with this, I'm still like, wow, they're doing Westworld. But I know the general public isn't really even even seen the Michael Crichton no, movie. Yeah. So then this show more has- people have probably seen The Simpsons making fun of Westworld than seeing yes, yes. Westworld. Yes. So like this show, honestly, there's my reason for sticking with it. If I was like you and I came into it, it was just like this show called Westworld and what they were explaining. If you watch the original show, the concept movie, I mean the concept works a lot better. This they were trying in season two, jumping out of the world. Yeah, that was too much, but I liked it. Um What'd you pick for eight? All right. This is the show that is the least formally inventive on my list. But considering they don't make shows like this anymore, it's kind of tied the turn and it's formally inventive again. And that is uh, Quinta Brenton's sitcom called Abbott Elementary. Ooh. Um, it is, I believe, on ABC. I watch it on Hulu. If you see, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Quinta Brenton in the middle of the picture right there. Um. It is, it's a classic sitcom about a bunch of teachers in a uh, high school uh, in West Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, where some of them were born and raised. And um, it's just one, it's just, it's funny as hell. Um, like when you need a sitcom, it's just, is the sitcom funny? Do you laugh at it? Um, and the answer is yes, but. What really makes Abbott Elementary great, and I don't know if you've seen it, but I think you would like it because you're a teacher, is, and my wife was a teacher. She has a lot of um, family that were teachers. I hear a lot of teacher stories. This is really kind of what it feels like to be a teacher from hearing all these stories, where this is a school that's very underfunded. They have to have creative solutions. They really are there for the kids. Um, it's a combination of like younger teachers just trying to get educate um, experience and then a lot of like lifers um, and it's it's like a show that would have been perfect in the 1990s and it's perfect now it's it's a little bit of comfort food because it is that classic sitcom but it's just it's so good man and it's so funny and you just you, you come to love these characters and it's the way like a sitcom should be. And I feel like there is a part of this television area where we're moving so far away of what made television great for all these decades. Uh, right before we uh, came on the air here, I was watching Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. Oh, and, yeah. they, and they were the, uh, the, three, uh, the three guests up there. And hilarious. I mean, just on Wheel of Fortune the three actors that were up there um, were great. I mean, I, I have not watched that show yet, but I think that's the only show I, I need to watch, which is definitely, I've heard only great things from you since we started uh, talking about it on this show. So 
I, I think I think it'll it'll be like a little bit extra special for you um, oh, yeah. because it, some of us like will hit a little bit close to home. And by the way, I don't think you need to be a teacher to like understand how like good it is. But oh, no. um, I mean, it got Emmy. I mean, it got Emmy. Yeah. I mean, got it. And by the by the way, for a network traditional networks that time to get Emmy nominations is kind of hard to do because it's basically like HBO and Netflix and FX and stuff like that. So to kind of like have this really good classic sitcom kind of take over the zeitgeist and then get Emmy nominations just kind of shows you the power of like just how enjoyable the show is to watch. Oh, that's definitely, I agree with that um, quite a lot. Um, That's why I'm going to definitely check it out. My number eight I picked um I think this one I'm looking through really quick. It's one of the only, I don't know if you'd even consider it a comedy, but it is an HBO show. Um, John C. Riley at the, the Helm um, winning time at eight. I had to put this one on here um, specifically for Jason Clark, uh, John C. Riley. Um, awesome, awesome performances from everybody who's in that show. Um, I think it did a really good job showing that whole time period with the LA Lakers. Adrian Brody even showing up as Pat Riley. Ridiculous casting. I thought was really good. Um, did you enjoy that show? Uh, I did. I liked it. Uh, I don't think it made my top 20. Oh, interesting. Very good. Um, I liked that a lot. John C. Riley is absolutely incredible in that show as um, not Jerry West, but uh, Jerry, Jerry Buss. Buss. Yes. Yeah. Who, who first buys the team? My my issues with winning time was a little bit of the structure because it spends like five episodes in the preseason, and then the rest five episodes like cramming through the regular season. Well, I'm kind of curious to see. I mean, is this how many? Like with Andor, they know they're doing two seasons and two seasons only. How many seasons do they plan to do with this show? I, I think they'll yeah. do as many seasons as HBO will let them. Because but like, I think they're stretching just... it out like that. You've already just burned through how many? I mean, I think those last five episodes were like two or three years, weren't they? No, it was just one season. Was it okay? Yeah, they'll just do multiple seasons. No, that that last season that was more than one season. I'm gonna look it up here, but uh, because it went, what's his name wasn't even involved in the whole season, but he he didn't join the team until two years later after what's his name took over. Um, I don't know because... what to tell you, man. It's about the. It is it is one season, but like oh, yeah. a lot of Tracy Letts' character, um, McKinney, yes. got got hurt. Like he was he was part of the team for more than just that one season, though. Um no, Pat Riley took over the team after this season. Because McKinney got he had that bicycle accident. Hold on a second. You're Pat Riley did not take over the team in seventy something. Um Pat Riley took over the team. Now I gotta pull up all this stuff. But that being said. I enjoy that show quite a lot. Hold on a second here. Pat Riley took over the Lakers uh, 81. He was an assistant from 79 to 81. He was uh, that, there was like two or three seasons that show. That, that, that. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. It, it was, was two or three seasons. It wasn't, so, but it was. I mean, okay. I, I watched the show. Okay. Um, I have on. a, I have a buddy who he just got HBO. Uh Um, and like literally just got it in like 2022 
when literally there's been like 20, 30 years of great TV shows. Um, and like I was telling him, like, okay, you got to watch like Sopranos and you got to watch The Wire. And he was like, I just started watching Winning Time. Have you heard of the show? I was like, okay, I mean, this is a guy who like really loves basketball. Uh-huh. So I was like, you know what? Winning Time is probably right up your alley. It's perfect for you. What did he say? Did he like it? He loves it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's I like the show. Very entertaining. All right. My number seven is another HBO show. I know how much you love it. I'd be surprised if this isn't on your list. And it's uh, Sam Levinson's Euphoria. Oh, yes. That is also my number seven. So talk we, away. We literally like did not plan this. Um, no, we did not plan this. I think you and I, you know, previous discussions like it for different reasons. Um, I love that Euphoria is basically just a vibe. To me, it's pretty plotless. Um I think, you know, I, there's a lot of complaints I saw. I was like, oh, what happened to Rue, the um, Zendaya character? Because, you know, she lost a lot of drugs and she's a drug addict. Um, but to me, it's like, I don't even care. The show, like, is doing things that you just don't do on television. This is like the Nicholas Winding Refn of, like, TV shows where <laughs> it exists solely for moods and vibes and it's so slick and stylistic. Um, and like, I don't even care what, the, personally, I don't care what the characters are doing. I don't care, you know, who's really getting into trouble. I just, you know, literally, um, Judd Apatow's daughter just puts on this most expensive play in high school history for like two episodes. And it's, it's glorious. Show is really good. Another show, just well acted by all the characters who are involved. I definitely um, like that show quite a lot. Even some of you know, I mean Zendaya, definitely awesome. Some of the side characters too do a very good job. I mean, this show is like literally minting stars, like Sydney Sweeney, who is you know on her way to be a star. You know the um, the dude in the show. I can't like he's a, such a piece of shit, but ladies love him. He was in uh, that Ben Affleck Anna de Armas movie. <laughs> oh, the uh, yeah, that one was uh, Dark Water. Was that yeah, one? yeah, that Deep one Water, was... Deep Water, Deep Water. And it's it's got our who's the 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 guy we keep talking about the his his dad who was on Grey's Anatomy, uh, Eric Dane. Oh, yes, Eric Dane. He's really good on that show, too. Really, I mean, really I love good. the kids. So, like, Jacob Elordi is, like, I feel like Gen Z loves him. The drug dealer played by Angus Cloud is great. Hunter Schaefer, Maude Apatow, like, Cindy Sweeney. All the kids are great. Eric Dane had his moments. We love the moment where he just pisses on his rug and <laughs> leaves his family. Um, Definitely. Yeah, this, like, just, just overall, just really... A different show, I think, than a lot of other shows on television. I think I don't know. I mean, would you say there's another show like that one? No, not even close. Like Sam Levinson is just in his own world doing his own thing, and for some reason, it's a hit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think that's a show that if you haven't watched it, it's definitely worth the time. And especially considering his movie Assassination Nation, which I feel like is the spiritual sequel to euphoria 
like I feel like nobody saw. No. Um, but if you like Euphoria, definitely check it out because it has a lot of similar themes and mood and vibe and style. Definitely, though, good good number seven. We, I mean, how coincidental that we both got that as seven. Yeah, both same number seven, same number ten. Literally did not plan this. No, I'm curious. I, I'm wondering if we're going to come in anymore. We'll see here. All right. How much? Do you have any Showtime shows on your list? I do. My next one is a Showtime show, and that will be <laughs> probably the one where we will not. You will not have any Showtime yeah. shows. All right. What um, do you got for six? I don't. I think you like the show. I don't know how much you love it. Um, it is Christopher Storrs' The Bear, uh, which originally aired on FX. You can now see on um, Hulu. Um, this is a show that also kind of came out of nowhere and took over the zeitgeist. Jeremy Allen White at Stark is kind of like a newly minted um, sex symbol now. Yeah, um, true. But it's a, it's a show about a, a, a dude struggling to keep his Chicago restaurant afloat. And it it's like... I. In some ways, this is like a classical show too. It's, I guess, this one isn't necessarily formally inventive, but like to take, you know, it's just so much fun, like hanging out with these characters, and and everyone feels connected, and everyone feels like they're in sync with each other, kind of like the restaurants, and really makes you want to grab of just a beautiful classic Italian. Uh, beef sandwich it does really makes you hungry which is what i made tonight were beef sandwiches because i knew you were going to pick bear <laughs> number <Yeah>. six <laughs> is it on Great. your list oh, i like the show a lot i like the show quite quite a lot i did not make my list but yeah. that's how it doesn't take away that it doesn't deserve to be on a top 10 list i just that's think for a show to come out of there come out of basically nowhere from a creator who is um you know told away at television but wasn't necessarily a name just like hey what can you do and just like makes this really smart and engaging show big fan well you sit there and you say you know again what's his name i mean i watched all the seasons of him on shameless to watch Jeremy him Ellen come, White. yeah come to the bear it's another step up and i see he's already doing he's got some good things coming up i see he's doing like a wrestling biography of a pretty Prominent oh, host. dude, that show looks dope. I've I heard yeah, about the show sure with Zach Efron. Yeah, that's going to be pretty awesome. Um, I don't know the name. Apparently, of it, but... a show like The Bear is what gets you started to kind of start. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Start pumping you to the next the next level, so to speak. All right, now The Bear has a cameo by John Barenthal. And can I take a guess that your number six is a Showtime show starring John Barenthal? No, oh, no, damn. no. No, but it stars even someone we talk about quite a lot more than John Bernthal. Even is it the George and Tammy show? You got it. It is. It was one of the. T- I know how much. Good, though honestly, uh, the Gigolo is somewhere. I mean, I numbered my whole paper. I got twenty-five movies and twenty-five TVs, and I just kept staring at which ones I was going to pick. But um, yes, George and Tammy, that is what I picked for number six. Yeah, talk about it because you watch and I don't. I definitely think that this is definitely a show who, number one, which is hilarious because my father-in-law, who likes this kind of music, I'm like, there's a George and Tammy show on. And he's like, I never was a fan of George George Jones. And I'm like, you don't have to be a fan of his music to like this show. I'm not a fan of his music. Um, Michael Shannon, man, he really, 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 really kills it in the show. Um, 
Tammy, she really, Jessica Chastain, really, really, really kills it. Some performances that I think you really, really enjoy and laugh at are Walter Goggins with an awesome, awesome country wig on. And also really, really good um, from his first season on White Lotus is Steve Zahn and really countryed out um, gear. But again, you know, I, I, I think they do both a good job. And I really enjoy Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain both sing and both use their talents. It, what the story is, is a biography of George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Um, George Jones was a very prolific drinker. Um, at one time, he drove his uh, tractor seven miles to the liquor store and back in the middle of the expressway. It's in this movie show. And you can imagine Michael Shannon doing that. It's hilarious. He goes out, he drinks a lot. He's just, just a really, a, not a good, not a good person, but a good performance. Nice. So definitely like that one. Definitely worth checking out. The best I think that Showtime has had this, this year. All right. All so. Right. My number five is a show that I'm pretty sure you've never watched. Uh, and that is, uh, it's an HBO show. It, for some reason, doesn't get Emmy nods. And I don't know why. Um, it is from Mickey Down and Conrad K. And it is called Industry. Ooh, okay. Um, Industry is this, this. Yeah, this. So it's a show that. I, I I caught up on both the first and the second season this year. The second season was the one that aired um, this year. Its first season aired a couple of uh, years ago. It kind of went under the radar a little bit. Um, so, yeah, this, the best way to describe it is kind of like Euphoria meets Mad Men almost. Um, it's very much a Gen Z show um, about a handful of these young kids who uh, start off as interns in this London, like bank hedge fund um, type place. Um, And the first season is, you know, probably is weighing a little bit more because I did like the first season quite a bit more than the second one. Um, Because the first season is a lot of my favorite of uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, These kids do a lot of drugs. <laughs> um, there is a character named Rob who is, he's one of the lead, these lead kids who like is my spirit animal. Um, the whole, there's a storyline in the first season where he's basically a client relations manager. And what that means is he does drugs and just uh, shows the client a good night on the town. <laughs> so it's just him snorting drugs and dancing the night away. Oh, um man. And uh, the second season, you know, it definitely it goes a little bit deeper. Um, these guys, I've heard interviews with, they're very much a fan of that era of like Mad Men type television, where like you know, um, you know, you hear artists like really like dig into like the the music of like the eighties and nineties and the you know like the um um. Who did Mr. Brightside? Killers. Thank you. You hear, you'll send to the Killers talk about like their influences and like what makes their albums great. It just feels like the same thing of these dudes of like we just watch Mad Men and Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and like just want to make our own version. And it's not culturally in the zeitgeist yet, but talent wise, it is um, 
up there a lot. Uh, this season had uh, Jay Duplass come in as this guy who made billions from he predicted COVID right before COVID happened, so he made billions, and Duplass just kills it this season. Um, and one of the best parts about this show to me also is it like very much seems like it knows like it's banking, but doesn't hold your hand. Like they go over a lot of banking terms and like it's very specific, like shorting the market is like, you know, like really like the lower level. It really, really gets into the minutia. And the thing is that it, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know banking. I don't really know banking at all. It's just how these decisions are impacting their characters. Like if a position is goes bad, like you see the characters, it really affects them. If it goes great, you see that they're on top of the world. Um, there's a thing in episode two where it's like a five minute scene of them just like placing a trade, but they they say it's like they wanted to film it like Michael Mann's Heat, mm-hmm. and the scene of just people talking in a room being just one of the most entertaining five minutes of television this year, I think is incredible. Um, we don't talk about it enough on the show, partially because I caught up to it later. I don't think you've seen it, but industry is definitely a show where if you haven't, if you're like, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it or have seen it. And if you haven't highly, highly recommend, especially that first season, if you're not hooked by the first season, I don't know what to tell you. I like that. I like showing people shows that they generally haven't seen. And generally that's one that, I think people should check out. I'm already, I think, on episode three of the first season. Very good stuff. Very, very good stuff. Do you see Rob's dancing? Uh, yes, I did. That His dancing is my favorite. It was. It was amazing. <laughs> really, really, really good. Um, my number five, uh, we won't have to talk about it too much because we've talked about it the last couple episodes quite a lot. Um, and that is Chippendales. Welcome to Chippendales. Um why do I find this show number scary? five? Yeah, I told you I, I find this stuff entertaining. Like, see, like it's the direct opposite of industry. So it's yes. total, so, and that's why I think I, I like all aspects. Like, I mean, like when I told you I liked all aspects of movies, like I like the stupid all the way to the super, super, super serious. And I think this is very, very dumb, entertaining. Um, and like you said, it's a Wikipedia entry, which is generally if we got a movie coming out called Plane, that generally is what people might need to follow. Generally a story, um, just the characters and everything. Um, yeah, so we can move on to four. I didn't see the finale yet. Neither but, did uh, I. I. That's what I hope to do when we're, we're finished here. But to, to give you credit, like... Even if it is a Wikipedia entry, we talked about, like, there's so much tawdry things that happen within this show. This guy, Steve Manergy, who creates the Chippendales, does so many shitty things, and so many things happen to him. The whole show I've watched it, I keep looking up the real photo of him, and I'm looking at this guy, and it looks nothing like him, and I'm like, this is ridiculous that this guy even got this far, but he did. You I know, think it's. I got, a, I got a shout out to Murley, our, our man, uh, Murray, Murray Bartlett. Yeah, Murray Bartlett kills on him. I love Murray, Bar- Murray Bartlett he on does. the show. Um, I don't think we said it. I think it's a Hulu original. Yeah. So if you want to check it out, um, 
Check it out on Hulu. Which is hilarious because a long, long time ago when that show Looking came out and I would watch the trailer, the dude with the mustache is what I was like, that dude with the mustache? I bet he'll be in anything ever again. And that was Merle Bart. But, and this is where we are now. Are we've, we've progressed all the way to this. But yeah, number five. All right, what do you got for four? All right, I'm looking at my my top four, and I don't think you've seen any of them. Oh, all right. So uh, okay. my, my number four is my only cartoon on the list. Um, oh. Do you remember the uh, Twitter account Shit My Dad Says? Yes. So a while ago, it was created by this guy, Justin Halpern. Um, he's gone on to have a decent um, writing career in Hollywood. And him and his writing partner, Patrick Shoemaker, um, have a little cartoon. It's now on its third season that aired this year, and it's called uh, Harley Quinn. Oh, very nice. Um, it has the voice of Kaylee Kuko as Harley Quinn and Lake Bell as Poison Ivy. And um, this is like, you know, you know, we talk about like maybe like something like Deadpool as being like, oh, that's our like. This takes is like Deadpool times 10. This show is just bonkers out of control. They have free range of the DC um, toolbox to use whatever character they want. And boy, do they use them. And it's so funny and it's so entertaining. And it, it surprisingly is deep. You know, it really focuses ultimately the story of, you know, friendship turned, um, love partnership between Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Um, and this season explored like what happens when they're kind of going on different directions, but it also has a naked Bane eating a sandwich um, who says the line, Oh, it's just carbo loading for the fuck fest. <laughs> like there's a running gag where Bane is just pissed that he, he, he wants to, um, he gave Harley or, Poison Ivy, a, a um a pasta maker for her wedding that she she ended up bailing, and he's like, "I want my pasta maker back." There's an episode. <laughs> it's on HBO Max. It's on HBO Max now. It it first started off of like this weird DC streaming, but it's now just solely on HBO Max. You can see all three seasons. I have to watch um, that. You know, there's an episode where Joker basically becomes um, a really leftist, like um, Bernie type politician to run for the mayor of gotham city um and he basically he does a lot of the stuff in the original batman like robbing banks but then gives away them like in a brutal fashion like joker fashion but then gives the money away to the people um it's the the show is like we should like we need more of this type of like it's it's like even farther than like what james gunn can do we need more of these type of just irreverent silly one-off it's not in it's you know even though it's in this batman universe because you saw these characters it's not within like the dceu or an mcu or anything it's just it's its own thing um and man it's just it's so much fun that's a good pick that's definitely i've heard uh saw a lot of posts about that definitely need to check that out and you're right i have not checked that one out um number four my pick is oh it's got the Fonz in it. It is Barry, the newest season of Barry. Like so close to making my top ten. It's it's I mean, a it's great fun. show. You know, I mean, I'm looking down at there's so much stuff that I didn't pick, 
and that you're even picking, you know, some of those that it's hard, you know, it's been, it's been a hard, like you said, deep, deep, deep year. Um, Barry, um, I don't, <laughs> what's his name? Definitely for me steals the show. Anthony, what's his last name? Kerrigan. Yes. Anthony Kerrigan. You could be having the worst day in the world and you just put the show on and he comes on and you get a good chuckle, a good laugh. I think this last season was really, really, really good. Um, definitely enjoyed it. You said As, you enjoyed it. The, you know what it, I think it is for me is that there was so much time between season two and season three, and I didn't catch up. Like it was just like, oh, by the way, Barry's here. And I was like, what? I was like, and again, that that glut at the very beginning of the year. So I think well, like I needed to catch up. Westworld at all? I mean, they were like two and a half years between each season, and those couldn't even remember. I mean. A lot of information, and I mean, if Barry was that like that, I mean, I hate when shows do that. Let's just start there. I mean, I mean, put some a lot of it. I think was COVID. That too, yes. Um, but Barry, you know, you know, it's it's probably going to get some Emmys after the season. It uh, it got a bunch of nominations and didn't win anything. Um, do you think off of this season here? Yeah. When did the when did the award season happen again for this? I forgot. In like July. All right, it did. You're right. Okay. Um, I think Ted Lasso and um, so a lot which of is, which is a shame because I really think that Barry does laps around Ted Lasso, but that's. But I mean, you want to talk about things that like are you know? I know you're not talking about form, but like what Bill Hader is doing as a director on the show, um, I think is is absolutely incredible. If you hear interviews with Bill Hader, he's like a true like. I think he definitely knows even more than you. Um, he knows more than me, which isn't hard. Yeah, he knows but, a lot. He knows a um, lot. And he he's a, us, yeah. yeah. Um, he's a true cinephile, and I think it absolutely shows in his work. Um, I think he's going to direct every episode coming up. I don't know if he did. He directed every episode for this last season. But, I mean, Barry is, I think, just like one of the best shows on television, like in any given year. Um and the season, like, it really dealt with the consequences of Barry's actions. And to have the in-joke of Sarah Goldberg's character, Sally, making her own show for a streamer, only for it to immediately go sideways. Um, Definitely. It's, I mean, I, I, I don't know, like, I'm, like, talking myself into shit. Should I put this ahead of Andor? <laughs> well, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, like I said. I'm curious to see where your what your uh, number three is here. Yeah, I I think it's just because like I wasn't able to catch up with it that I felt like a little bit emotionally distant from it. But like objectively, it's great. It's a hundred percent worthy of being in this list. What do you got for three? Um, give me one. Sure, number three. Yeah. I, I have for number three here, I have, ooh, let me play my clip here that I got here. Number three. It both gladdens my heart and fills me with sorrow to see these faces around the table. All right, well, we don't have to talk much about it because we went through it each episode. 
but it was House of Dragon was my third pick. Was and it really? I, and I told you, okay, if I liked, okay, let me put you this way. I even think this was more ridiculous than the uh, Chippendale show. And it's only because of Patty. And I want to thank you. You actually made me love the show more because every week when we did the review, you're like, when's Patty just going to die? Which made the show more fun for me. Like every week turning in, I was really like, is he going to die? I don't know, remember really a lot what else happened. It was all about Patty. So I want to thank you for uh, for pointing out Patty. And it was my favorite. It was my third most entertaining. You know, it isn't a deep show. Um, but I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun talking with it with you and just a lot of fun watching it. Man, I really dislike this show. This is I know uh, you did. I know, and I know you said oh, the whole entire time it was not gonna make your list at all. And it, honestly, it's not even close. I want to be honest with you. A lot of these shows, even that I'm picking this season, I think any other year that we would if we would have started this show, I would never have picked shows like this. This is very like an off year for me. Um, I even thinking about it, I like these shows. But I like them all for different reasons, and I usually like shows more for what you said at the beginning, the Sopranos reasons, the uh, Breaking Bad reasons, and none of these shows really felt that way to me this year, but uh, you know, maybe next year it'll be better for that kind of stuff. I am... I'm I'm glad you 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 vamped out a bit when I was not had my headphones in because yeah uh, you and I have let's just say different quite different opinions in House well of that's the why I play I I had a nice little clip here that I played with Patty that I just played to to just you know what did you pick for three uh, my number three is a show that I don't know how many people watch it miraculously had a third season that was able to air this year it uh, is from the a24 and it airs on Hulu and it's a show called Rami. Ooh. It's uh created and starring the stand-up comedian named Rami Youssef. Um but the genius of the show is that it basically like not only is the main like through line of the show basically about a young kid um fucking up and trying to use and use religion to help fix himself specifically islam and this show is very religious and uses a lot of religiosity in order to tell its storytelling which you absolutely just you're you're not going to see on television unless it's even like christianity like you don't see shows being very overtly christian the way that rami is very overtly um islamic but what he's now done for two seasons is he basically he is the entry point into his world, into his family, and he basically bounces after like three episodes. He um, is like he has so many interesting stories to tell about the immigrant life um, and different uh, aspects of how religion affects other, um, specifically his family members. Um, focuses a lot about the the actors who play his dad his mom his sister and um his uncle who we found out last season is this very butch asshole of, of a dude we found out he acts that way because he's gay uh and the season deals with the consequences of that um i just think rami is doing something like 
you know, talk about formally inventive. The show is is doing something that you just don't see on television. And even though I think it's on TV because of my number one, which obviously we'll get to in a second, I think it you know it takes some form from that. Rami Youssef is just able to tell his own interesting story, and it's so fascinating. And it's basically almost feels like an indie television show. You know, like indie, like we have indie movies and mainstream movies even though it's on Hulu, um, it feels like he's off in the corner doing his own thing. And I just think it's, I'm, I'm blown away by what he's able to put on television and nobody talks about it. No, honestly, I don't know why you never brought this show up before on this show before. Cause I've never even heard of this show until tonight. So now I've gotten another show. I got to write down here that tomorrow I got, I got to watch Harley, Elisa, Harley Quinn, a Rami that, that does sound very interesting. Sounds right up my alley. I you got to finish season one of industry. Industry, you know, I'm going to have an overload of all these awesome shows that you're you're telling me about. Sounds very, very good. What'd you pick for two? Uh, two is another show that is influenced by my number one, um, but it's kind of off in its own world, doing its own thing. It is from a guy named Sterling Harjo. Um, it is on FX, and you can see all episodes of Hulu. And that is a uh, Reservation Dogs. Hmm, very good. Uh, it's a show about it for intents and purposes about like these four um, Native American kids on a reservation in Oklahoma looking to get out and into the larger world. But again, the show is kind of like able to tell these indigenous American stories in such an entertaining and beautiful way. And Saron Harjo is an indigenous man himself. Um, it's co-produced by Taika Waititi, who kind of, I think, essentially just lets Sterling do his own thing. But um, do you remember there was like a TikTok where a dude was skateboarding with cranberry sauce to um, oh, Fleetwood yeah. Mac? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that dude like is like a character, like is pops up in a couple episodes this season. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, man, this dude can actually like really act. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Stone Harjo and the rest of his team are just like able to find actual indigenous actors, and like I'm pretty sure like they film in Oklahoma too. Um, and they're just able to put put so much pathos into these characters. Um, all these kids kind of get to do their own thing. You kind of see like a little bit of a larger world. The most famous person is probably Bobby Lee, who shows up in a couple episodes, but. Again, the ability to that TV can like put these indigenous actors and have indigenous people tell their own stories, and it's it's set in the modern world. Um, I just find so interesting and fascinating, and like it shows like reservation dogs of why we need to let marginalized people just like have their own movie or TV show and just do their own thing because they get so many great works of art that you just wouldn't get like even five, seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, definitely nothing but positive things from reservation dogs. Um, I watched quite a lot of that. I like that show. It's good. I have watched that show. That is a show that I have watched. <laughs> definitely worth the check out. Um, definitely a good pick for number two. I like that. I like how your list is. I like it. Very good. My number two is also a DC television show. 
and it's going to be probably. Do you really want it? Opening act, both opening sequence, I think, all year long, and it's the Peacemaker. Um, I think John Cena, I think, really does a good job on that show. And I'm going to tell you what, go on. If YouTube wasn't be jerks, and probably would ban us like we just need to play that opening <laughs> like if, if you pause us and just youtube um peacemaker opening scene do you really want it do you really want it <laughs> next Such week we're gonna, we're gonna practice the dancing line on each side of us and we'll all like <laughs> uh but like that show i had no expectations zero i had zero expectations um not something that really i uh you know was looking forward to and honestly, I really, 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 really like that show a lot. I like the show so much that it made me go back and watch Suicide Squad again and enjoy that because I don't know if I enjoyed it really the first time I watched it as much as I did the second and the third time after really understanding what James Gunn was doing with the characters. Yeah, James Gunn is, is just so good at this genre. Very, very good. Um, but that is my number two. What is your – here we are. Right, number, number one, one. <laughs> this show aired two seasons in 2022. Its third season was kind of eh and missed the mark, but its fourth season I thought was absolutely incredible. Its final season, and it's technically season four of uh, Atlanta, is my number one Ooh. show of the year. Um. We talked, I know we had an earlier conversation earlier in the year um, about does Atlanta deserve to be a top 10 show of all time? And despite its third season not landing, I, I think it actually, I've come around to the show, it's just so good, it was so formally inventive, and I think without Atlanta, you don't get Reservation Dogs and you don't get Rami. So to not only be as great as it was on its own, but to influence a whole type of genre that basically FX and Hulu are taking advantage of um, I think absolutely deserves a spot in the top 10 and I thought season 4 you know Donald Glover it's a show created by Donald Glover it's our Sam and Brian Tyree Henry Zazie Beats and Lucky Stanfield um, there was an episode this season where they just did a fake documentary about the Goofy movie <laughs> where there's this whole premise of Disney accidentally um, elected a black CEO, Disney Animation Studios. <laughs> and this guy was like, I'm going to make the blackest movie ever. And he made the Goofy movie. <laughs> um, and it's shot like, you know, like a, a real life documentary. Like my wife just watches, comes out of the room, is like, did this really happen? I'm like, no, it's a show. And like no, trying to explain to her, it's like a fake documentary, and but it's in Atlanta. But she's like, but it doesn't have Donald Glover. I was like, you're missing the point. Um, but the ability to have this like fake documentary in the middle of its final season and to be as good as it is, um, it's just kind of incredible. Donald Glover, his ability to just create surreal situations to have make a commentary about like what he feels like it is to be black in America I think is is it's it's fucking genius I think he's a genius I really do and ostensibly this is a show about a rapper on the rise but 
that's just like a dumb elevator pitch. It's so much more. Donald Glover and his brother and his writing team are just able to tell such poignant and beautiful stories every single week. I thought season four was basically all bangers. Like, even though he they just did season three that was mostly a miss, to come back and to end on such a strong note, um, I just thought, like, no one in television can do what Donald Glover is doing. And even though we get shows like Reservation Dogs and, and Rami that can be influenced, like, we're never going to get another Atlanta ever again. Um, and the final episode had the scene where the characters are sitting in a, a black fusion sushi, sushi restaurant um, that doesn't quite work, and the the chef comes out and makes this really awesome monologue. And I, I've had trouble finding it, but it was basically the thesis statement of the show about like what it's like to be a black creator right now. Um, I thought it was absolutely incredible, and I, I don't have I like there's not enough adjectives I can throw at the show that would be like worthy of my admiration for it. Another show I started because you said it was really awesome. Really good show. I gotta get it all the way caught up to season four because I bet it's just as good as what you're saying. Um, my number one pick. Well, hi. Hi. You know, I came in here last night and I saw this photo and I thought I dreamt it, but here it is. Well, I, we don't again have to talk too much about it because we did a lot of talking about it. But I really very close to, to making my list. It was in consideration for the tenth spot. You know, it's another show that if it Let's, keeps, it's it's the White Lotus. It's the Let's White see. Lotus, and if it keeps it up, okay. I, I think it needs to stay at this plateau for another three to four seasons, and if it can, it can niche itself into something original and different. But I need to see a couple more seasons where it stays at this this high level to see that it's a, a high level show and not like something that's a flag once in a lifetime type of thing. I was going to rag on you for having a bunch of Showtime shows on your list. Uh-huh. And I think the fact that you only had one is a uh, golf clap. I'm impressed. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, where's my other list here to be fair. I actually have my list of 25. Besides the one that you also brought up, those were the only two on my list. Oh, oh, three. The Shy, too. Um, I think The Shy is very inventive. But, yeah. Um, wasn't Like I said, it wasn't the strongest year, in my opinion. But, like you said, it was very, very deep. Um, but just going back quickly to The White Lotus, we did talk about it last week. But it's all written and directed by this guy named Mike White. He really like delve deep into sex and the transactional relationship that characters have with each other. The season was so good on its own and it was so fun to talk about with other people. It's like this great, the show is like smart on its own, but also we can talk about on Twitter about who the bodies are. That's why I thought it was really my favorite was that right there, the interaction. I hadn't seen that in the show in a long time. Just who's this, who's that, what's going to happen. Definitely, I thought it was better than the the first season, which was also quite good. A lot of good actors, a lot of good actors, definitely. All right, let's let's recap our ten to one real quick. All right, all right. For for me, number ten was Andor. Number nine was Better Call Saul. Number eight was Abbott Elementary. Number seven was Euphoria. 
Number six was The Bear. Number five was Industry. Number four, Harley Quinn. Number three, Rami. Number two, Reservation Dogs. And number one, season four of Atlanta. All right. That was good. My number 10 was Andor. My number nine was Westworld. My number eight was Winning Time. My number seven was... Here's my number seven. I lost it here. Euphoria. Euphoria. That's right. We had the same one. Uh, Number six was George and Tammy. Number five was Chippendales. Number four was Barry. Number three was House of Dragon. Um, Number two was Peacemaker. And number one was White Lotus. So here's my 11 to 20 in no particular order. Um, Ben Stiller's Severance, which you can find on Apple TV+. Um, It's a show I admired more than I enjoyed. Um, I also had White Lotus, um, Apple, or excuse me, Amazon Prime's The Boys. Thought it started off strong, but kind of faltered towards the second half of its season. Barry, um, we talked about it last week. Fleshman is in trouble. Um, this show on HBO stars Jake Johnson. It's called the. It's called Minx. Um, it's quite good. Nobody watched it, and like now you can't even watch it anymore. Uh, Peacemaker. I had another HBO show. Uh, it's just to me one of the funniest shows on TV. Even though uh, someone described it as a scene that goes for five seconds, has a punchline, a joke, and then is a drone shot of the building for a minute and that's sex lives of college girls um the patient and righteous gemstones all right yeah mine is 11 through 20 in no particular order we have fleischman in trouble um pam and tommy old man um we talked about it because of the cast uh it was uh, i got a couple star shows here uh gaslit um and p uh p valley is really good on stars the shy um better call saul the boys and what we do in the shadows an honorable mention the kids in the hall came back this year um on amazon definitely worth checking out for some laughs i didn't even know that happened yes it was it's really ridiculous all right and those are our favorite television shows of 2022 now let's move on to our favorite movies of 2022. Ooh. So I'm going to say this with the caveat that there are a handful of movies that came out this past year that especially a lot of movies come out towards the end of the year that are mainly trying to get Oscar buzz and Oscar consideration. And because they don't send us screeners and we don't go to film festivals, I didn't get a chance to see a lot of them. So I have not seen Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Um, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, Sam Mendes' Empire of Light, James Gray's Armageddon Time, Gina Blythewood's The Woman King, uh, She Said, Sarah Polly's Woman Talking, Ruben Oslin's Triangle of Sadness, or James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. So I would like to maybe revisit this as we get closer to the actual Oscar ceremony. Definitely. Because I think it's going to change... Um, I feel like there's a lot of good movies on the list that I just I haven't been able to see. Definitely, we'll definitely revisit this. Most definitely. All right. Um, I'm gonna go first. What? 
My number 10 is, I don't know if you saw this. I definitely tweeted about it, though. You can see it right now on Netflix. It is technically a Tollywood movie, not a Bollywood movie. Um, it is from this guy, S.S. Rajamuli. I feel like this was a big thing at the very beginning of the year that we kind of slipped under our radar when we first started this podcast. And that is a RRR. Actually, just watched it yesterday because I because I knew you had talked about it before, and I had a feeling it was going to be on your list. Yeah, it I just liked it. I liked it. It just cracked my top ten. Um, I don't. I think actually it's... liked it. It was actually a lot. Uh, I, I, I'm actually going to go. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be because it wasn't as ridiculous as though I thought it was going to be, which I thought made it better. There are ridiculous parts to the movie. But the movie uh, isn't all just straight action. I mean, there's a lot of scenes in there, too. It's a three-hour movie. Um, I thought it found it very enjoyable. It's ostensibly this, like, fictionalized version of these two revolutionaries in India trying to overthrow this British ruling in, like, the early 20th century. Um, I think the action in this movie, though, is absolutely incredible. There is a scene very early on where... um, a bunch of Indians are storming a prison, this tiny prison. And one of our main characters, like it's a huge mob and he jumps over the gate to try to attack this one dude. And the mob is getting him, but like can't hold him down. And it's like one of the best action set pieces. Like I've seen in a movie probably ever. It's like, Holy crap. <laughs> like uh, this movie loves its people on wires. Um, and especially considering how much we're used to the same old blandness of Marvel and DC and 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 a lot of action that we're fed in America, I thought the way this movie handled its action was just absolutely breathtaking. But yeah, this movie also has a dance number in the middle of it. It does. It does. Have uh, dance. This guy, he's in the barracks and and he just breaks out into song, and it's not really <laughs> a musical, but he breaks out into song. Um, and it's in the same movie as this like love story. Like this movie is like the definition of an epic. Um, and well, it probably won't end up making my top ten. Um, once I see more movies, I uh, definitely think it's worthy of discussion now. My number ten movie. Um, I don't want to talk about it too in depth because we probably will talk about it more in depth next week. I just saw it for the first time yesterday, and it. Just for seeing it yesterday for the first time, it has cracked my top 10, and that is The Menu. It saw it this on... afternoon. Did you saw it this afternoon? Did I you enjoy this... it? Uh, I did. Um, I just thought it was a fun time. It was a good time all around. Um, actors involved, very awesome. Ralph Fiennes, I thought was great. Um, Anna Taylor-Joy, great. You know, about a girl, about, you know... I don't want to give too much away to the story, but they go to, how would you describe it? Uh, so Anna Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt are this couple, and they're they're in New York, and there's this very exclusive fancy restaurant on a remote island um, whose chef is played by Ralph Fiennes. And they go there for a tasting, and um, shit hits the fans. Very good. Very worth uh, talking, uh, checking out. We'll probably talk about it yeah. more. In a future to me, it was it was good, but very noticeably flawed. Well, I mean, RRR was the same yeah. exact thing by quite a lot, but but yeah. that's what entertaining. Um, 
you know, I think what it, I think you're absolutely right, though. And I want to watch it again because I don't know. I, I want to see if I'll enjoy it as much as I do the second time as I did the first time. But it definitely is a lot of fun, though. Like it's a, it's a sensibly turns into a thriller. Um, but Ralph Fiennes and Anna Taylor Joy are really having a good time. What do you got for nine? Uh, my number nine is another foreign film. Uh, you can see it on Amazon Prime. It is directed by this guy named. Junta Yamaguchi. It technically was released in Japan in 2020, but it had a release date in America of 2022, so I'm counting it. It is this movie called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Interesting. It's the soft science fiction film where this kid, he works at a cafe, and he lives right above it and realizes very quickly that there is a two-minute delay between one side of the computer than the other. So for on one of the computers, you can see two minutes into the future. And eventually it becomes this overall... And it's also, by the way, it is filmed like it's done in one shot, which is really adds to the like fun and adrenaline of the movie. But... To me, the brilliance of this movie is the script, the ability to have this like science fiction, like time travel ish movie. And at one point, the computers overlap and it gets really trippy. So you can see like four minutes, six minutes into the future. Um, but the ability to tell this like story, it turns into a little bit of a crime story. Um, but to actually make sense, like this movie is like what I call Reddit proof, where you know, with science fiction, it's like, or time travel movies especially, it's like, well, you, you can go on Reddit and then kind of disprove it. And But this is all just like, it turns into one interlocking story. And between the brilliance of the script and the one-shot style filmmaking, uh, it's really entertaining. That sounds good. I never even heard of that one. Definitely got to check it out. You said that's on what? It's on Amazon Prime. Awesome. It's called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely check that out. My number nine is a horror movie, and it stars, a, I still can't pronounce her name, Soasi Bacon, um, the daughter of Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon, and that is Smile. Um, this year, for all of its indications, there was a, quite a few good horror movies. Um I sprinkled smile into this movie and this is about this movie is about uh she plays a psychologist who pretty much starts to see people pretty much smile and it's kind of like that movie I was talking about earlier plane except it's a little bit more in depth it's about a smile instead of a plane um and people gets really crazy it gets really nuts um I know you don't like scary movies but this nope. would be definitely one that uh I don't suggest that you should watch because it was definitely, um, definitely kind of freaky. <clears throat> what do you I got feel like this? Oh, this movie on. did. I was going to say, I feel like Smile did quite well at the box office. It did. I mean, like I said, the movies, the horror movies that uh, did do well this year uh, did do well at the box office, which I don't remember in the last probably three or four years that horror movies did. Pretty this successful. Made over a hundred million dollars in the U.S. alone. Yeah, 
I mean, and it it for as far as horror movie goes, it it does it deserves it. I think. All right, uh, my number eight is a film that we talked about a long time ago. Um, it is on Apple TV Plus, and it is a film called Cha Cha Real Smooth. Cha Cha Real Smooth. Uh, it is written and directed and starring Cooper Rafe. Uh, it also stars Dakota Johnson. Um, it is an indie movie, coming of age story, which absolutely gets me. Uh, Cooper, this is Cooper Rafe's second film. Uh, his first one is Shit House, which is also another indie coming of age story. Um, so this guy is right up my alley. This time, Cooper Rafe plays this character who he just gets out of college. He's graduated, uh, doesn't quite know what to do with himself, and ends up being this party hype guy for bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, and I just feel, and I said this at the time, I just feel the way that Cooper Rafe is able to create an enjoyable party for these 13 year olds and like bring these kids to have a good time on the dance floor. He just has that same comforting style as a director and writer to just bring the audience in and, and let the indie coming of ageness just wash right over you. Um, I found him incredibly charming. I thought Dakota Johnson is some of the best acting I've seen from her, just kind of letting her do her thing. I thought she had great chemistry with Cooper Rife. Um, and uh, just like a really enjoyable indie film. Yeah, that was one that you uh, had suggested that that I watched for the show. And I definitely like that one a lot. Um, like you said, the way it's filmed, um, all the performances that were involved in it, definitely worth it at number eight. Um, my number eight I picked, um, and I rewatched it again a couple days ago. And it's good. It's it's definitely really good. I think it's I want to really make fun of it a lot. And honestly, I can't and I wanted to on the second viewing, but I couldn't. And that is Top Gun. Um I realized it didn't make my list, but uh honestly it wasn't going to make my list, but after watching it yesterday, it's good, man. It's it's really good. And I honestly I watched the first one before it just to kind of like say, okay. Let's see here. They're different movies. Um, they're not like a lot. They, you know, it's kind of like how they compare some of the Star Wars to the uh, Force Awakens. You know, they're like trying to purposely throw out some things that they know the fans like or the fans will know. But the camera work and everything in it is is really, 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 really good. Um, the cinematography is excellent because they like put cameras in the plane and had the actors like do it over and over again. Um, like hearing just director Joseph Kaczynski talk about how he got so many of those arrow shots. It's like, yeah, no wonder this movie looks really effing good because they're really up there doing it. It's like the beauty, like of like not doing this in a soundstage in California, you know, get up in planes and do this over and over again. And it looks great. You know, I, I do find it hilarious though. Like, you know, I mean, and you talked about like the menu having some, some plot, some plot things like at the end, all right, they crash. They're able to find that other plane. They get on the plane. They fly out of there. The plane's old, but they make it. Movie ends. You know, I mean, it's 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 that yeah, part like... was a little. But but I get it though. You know, I'm also trying to, and I thought about this while I was watching it too. I like a lot of that '80s action and '80s stuff like that, and even trying to put it out now today because that's what they try to do in the movie. You just can't. 
make it the same way that it used to be. But man, did they try and they did a really, really good job. I think that's why there's like this vulture theory going around that like Tom Cruise died at the beginning, his character, and this is all kind of just his fever dream. Like that's why there's like a, a faceless enemy and just like, yeah, this plane just shows up out of nowhere. Um, I think Tom Cruise just like really smartly knows what movie audiences want and okay. gave it to him. Oh, yeah. And he did a good job on that. I mean, it's, it didn't, it was close to making my, oh no, did it? Okay, never mind. I was going to say, I go to 11, but I realized this Michael doesn't have a two, so it is 10. <laughs> um, very close to making that, that 10 spot. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say bad things about Top Gun Maverick. Um, my number, oh man, my list is messed up. It is 10, 9, 8. My number seven is uh, a film I think I liked more than you, and it is uh, you can stream it on Amazon Prime. It is from a director named Michael Grandage, and it's uh, My Policeman. It's a good one. It was a good movie. Um, it mainly stars Harry Styles, Emma Corrin, and David Dawson. Um, there is this weird flash forward of like those three characters and like the present day that doesn't necessarily work that as well. But uh, it's a love story about those three characters where Harry Styles' character is married to Emma Corrin's character, but Harry Styles is queer. And in a relationship with David Dawson's character. And, you know, it's, it's a tale as old as time. But I just thought Michael Grandage shot this and filmed this in such a beautiful and meaningful way uh, that it really affected me and it really got me. And I just thought it was a lovely story. I'm glad you liked that movie. Because, again, when I, when I, I'm, I, when I was telling you about it, I was like, I, I felt like it was going to be a good movie. And though it didn't make my top ten, it definitely, it deserves, it's definitely a great movie. I don't have anything negative really to say about the movie. Um, and as it comes to being on a, a top 10 list, um, my number seven, which I'm sure is going to be higher up your list, so we could talk about it a little bit more when you pick it, unless you didn't pick it, and that would be Babylon. Oh, yes, we are. Let's put a pin in that. We'll put a pin on that, and let's move on to number six. Uh, my number six is a film I don't think I would have seen uh, unless you said, yo, check this movie out because you like B.J. Novak. Uh, it's currently streaming on Amazon. Or no, this is a Peacock movie. It is written, directed, and starring B.J. Novak, uh, and it is called Vengeance. Um, you know, we, we talked about it on the pod, but I think this movie is very much of its time where B.J. Novak plays a podcaster creating a podcast called, uh, it's my favorite title of a fictional thing called Dead White Girl. <laughs> um, you know, he is tricked. There's a girl that he is kind of sort of seeing, hooking up with, did hook up with, who dies and is um, essentially guilted into going to her funeral in this rural West Texas town. Uh, meets up with this character's brother, played by Boyd Holbrook, which uh, anytime Boyd Holbrook shows up on on screen, it's all, you're always in for a good time. And uh, he essentially realizes that B.J. Novak's character, that he uh, is, that she dies claiming um, 
of a drug overdose where everyone claims she didn't do drugs. So her brother thinks it's murder, and Novak thinks it's a great excuse to create a podcast. And I kind of think, like, the, not only is it just funny dealing with this BJ Novak kind of fish out of water character, this elite New York douchebag um, who feels like he's better than these people, just really getting to know Boyd Holbrook's family and their way of life. Jay Cameron Smith, who's on Succession, plays the mom. Um, and Ashton Kutcher shows up and does some like really good acting. Like he does. I, that whole scene, uh, just when you start talking about that scene at the end when they're talking or whatever, the lights and everything. I like that scene a lot. That's a good movie. I, I think, it's, especially if you listen to Serialized Podcast, that Ashton Kutcher turn at the very end is even more enjoyable. Um, I just think it's a, it's a really well-told movie that kind of feels like it's perfect for this moment definitely i definitely agree i mean a good pick very good pick it was on it's definitely in my 11 through 20 um pick i'm curious if this next pick is on your list at all uh my number six and that is going to be uh the glass onion no i liked it a lot didn't make my list probably like 11 or 12 um, again, I, I picked it because of its entertaining value. I found it very, very, very entertaining. All performances from Daniel Craig all the way to Catherine Hahn um, to Janelle Monet, Janelle Monet, Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think it's also because it's stuck in my head recently. Um, a lot of the ones at the beginning of the year, there weren't as many that I found to be as good as towards the end of the year. But that was like you said. We, we you mentioned a whole bunch there that we hadn't even seen yet that are probably really awesome too. But that's why I picked the Glass Onion. But Glass Onion, it's just a like, it's perfect for you know. Like I don't know if if you saw it like I did, but like you know, spending the day with the in laws and lots of family. It was just come home, relax with the wife. Excuse me, and and turn on Glass Onion, and and you know. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, Ryan Johnson, the writer and director is just really good at this. It's, it's a really entertaining story. Um, it's He is able to hide the mysteries and the reveals very well in it. Um, and it's it's a great puzzle movie and the turn that it takes halfway through is like really opens up the movie. Yeah, I mean, it definitely I like the just the way it looks too. Whereas the first movie was kind of like looked more like Clue, like in a house. I just like the the beautiful locales, and I keep thinking of uh, Edward Norton playing Blackbird as everybody is uh, is coming up. <laughs> Edward Norton, so dumb. <laughs> yeah, Edward Norton's great in the movie. <laughs> really. All right. Um, this I assume will make your list. My number five. Uh, you can currently stream it right now on HBO. It's Matt Reeves, The Batman. Ooh, The Batman. No, no, the Bat- no, no. No. <laughs> I have to play it. I had to play it for our boy. Ball, it's where we got started way at the beginning we, we this is the very first episode we were talking about how good the batman was gonna be yeah we did a whole podcast about the batman that's true you should probably just go listen to that um 
I'm very upset you didn't play the clip of, hey, what are you showing me that for? <laughs> um, I, I will get that one for the next show, and I will play that every hey, time. Hey, what are you <laughs> doing? Don't you know Spanish? Ow! <laughs> Great movie, though. Definitely. And it's also, um, it's on it's on my list. It's a little bit a little bit higher. All right, so we'll talk about a little bit more. With yeah, you. but definitely awesome pick. What do you got for four? Did you do your five? Oh, I didn't do my five. Five, and I'm curious if this is on your list, because we might have to put a pin on it. It is, uh, did you pick the Northmen at all? It's my number four, so let's talk about it. All right, let's move on right to there. There we go. I knew a lot of these down here, we were going to start to kind of run into each other. Yeah, your five, my number four, Robert Eggers, written, directed, starring uh, Alexander Skarsgård. And again, our girl, Anna Taylor-Joy. I mean... So I was watching a random YouTube insider video where this movie only used one camera. Okay. Like normally you see like a bunch of cameras to get different shots. Um, and that's why you just have like some awesome shots in this movie. Like there's a scene where the camera just comes over the water and just like sits in a canoe of people canoeing at the very beginning and then turns. And I was like, man, this is so fucking hard to do. And it's just such a smart use of the camera. Like, shit like that really gets me. Definitely um, a movie that has grown on me every time I, I watch it. I think all this guy's movies, they're definitely worth, um, you know, multiple viewings to get the whole entire, to get the whole entire thing. And I often, because um, this is your gross, right? Is that who? No, what? Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. I've watched Robert Edgar's and Yurgo's Lanthro's movies the last couple nights. Like I've watched The Lobster, I've watched The Sacred Killing of a Sacred Deer, because I figured we're gonna want to talk. I mean, those are good movies. And then Love this yours. guy, um, I mean, this movie, and of course, The Lighthouse is always on Showtime too. Um, I like the way he films. I mean, at first, I think a lot of people when this movie came out, they think that they were going to be getting like a, a new Braveheart or something else like that, and that's not what this is. This is a lot deeper, a lot more emotion. I think in this, I really like Ethan Hawke in this. Yeah, plus um, the dad, which I watched before Sunset today, which I've never watched before any of those movies. Great movie. Um, to see, to see him in that role, and then watch him in something like that, definitely. Um. But all around, just a really good movie, good story. Yeah, this is like, it's a pretty traditional story. Like, we talked about it, you know, two two weeks ago. It's just like, this is the Lion King. The <laughs> dad is king, and the brother kills the king and exiles the son, and the son then basically comes for revenge. And here the son is played by Alexander Skarsgård, but it's freaking Robert Eggers, the guy who did The Lighthouse and The Witch, telling this story. So it's a little bit off-kilter. It's a little bit weird. It's not your traditional story and it's friggin' awesome. I love it. Very, very awesome movie. Um, the coloring, the cinematography again, who does this? Do you know who does the cinematography for his movies? Is it anybody of, of worth? Cause he should be, cause it's definitely, definitely memorable. All of Edgar's movies. Um, the cinematography looks really, really good and different. Uh, it's by this guy named Yaren Blaschke, who I'm not familiar with his work. He was nominated for an Oscar before. So let's see. He did. Yeah, he, he looks like this guy is Edgar's uh, 
cinematography because he did the lighthouse and the witch as well. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so that's my number four. What's your number four? My number four, which um, I still think you should watch this one because you said you heard enough about it on a lot of podcasts this year. And it's uh, my other horror pick of the genre, and it was Barbarian. Um, yeah, probably. Just because, honestly, it's just fun, and it's ridiculous. And honestly, the same reason I like um, Patty Constantine, the same reason I like, um, I can't pronounce his name from... Chippendales, can you do me? What is it again? Murray Bartlett? No, the head guy. Camille Nanjiani? Yes. It's the same reason why I think Justin Long in this movie is ridiculously just, he plays just a scum. And I think Justin Long is great in a lot of different things. And the storyline, of course, as you heard it, it's just an original movie. And that one made a lot of money, I think, at the box office, too. Yeah, I think it did pretty well. And uh, again, that was my second in my my horror my horror collection for this. But overall, good story. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, a lot of surprises, a lot of different turns. It isn't anything. Even that name, um, Barbarian. Um, I could turn this into a, a Miss March um, about that movie because the same guy who's in that directed this. Scott Kreger. Yes. Great, or Zach, Zach Kreger. Yeah, he did a really good job. Really original. Check it out. There, Zach Kreger was part of this um, comedy troupe called The Whitest Kids You Know. And there's their sketch, The Whitest Kids You Know, all about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln is, I think, the funniest thing on the internet. <laughs> Where Kreger plays John Wilkes Booth. And um, the main guy, uh, what's, I think his name was like, Martin, I don't know. He tragically passed. Yeah, he died by like uh, got drunk and like accidentally fell off his balcony yeah. or something. Yeah, that's exactly how he. Uh, Trevor Moore. Um, he plays Abraham Lincoln, who gets drunk during a a play of Hamlet and starts yelling at the play, and it's friggin' hysterical. Um, honestly, if you pause this show and and go watch that sketch. I don't fault you. No. Um, no. I I assume my number three is on your list. It's uh, Prey. <laughs> look, look at us. We are... Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Give me a second. Yes, we have just... Uh, we have... Well, no, that is number two for me. But yes, we'll just... We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about it now. Because it's great. Um, it's from director Trent, Dan Trachtenberg. He hasn't done a whole lot, but he did do... 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he did the pilot of the boys. Um, I rewatched this recently because I was bored, and this movie fucking slaps, man. This movie's so good. It's um, technically a, a prequel to the Predator movie, um, but set in the early 1700s in the Great Plains of America, where this Predator comes down, and this indigenous woman named, uh, played by Amber Minhunter, essentially for all intents and purposes, has to fight and kill the predator this predator that's wrecking havoc it's um not only just badass and has some just like awesome action sequences and set pieces but it's a symbolism for colonialism and this movie just is friggin' amazing i mean like i explained the peacemaker i mean i wasn't expecting much out of this i mean straight to release on hulu 
no actors that I've ever heard of. It just spelled disaster for me from the get go. And honestly, it was ever it was in, in in all indications I could I could see myself in another time period putting this at number one um, because it really was that good in that type of movie. Um, but you said it; it really it hit all the it hit all the um, classic classic marks. I think definitely a classic movie. Um, having watched them all, definitely the second best or first. It could even be for some if you've never seen any of the movies before. Um, could definitely be if you're watching them all for the very first time. It might be your favorite because it looks the least dated, and the technology is really good. It doesn't have Arnold, but she does a really, really good job in it. Yeah, and this movie works well where, yeah, if you haven't seen a single Predator movie, this movie will work on you. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen them all, it has just enough Easter eggs and, and influences on it where it'll also work. It's This movie is just dope. This is, I think I said at the time, this is like what I want out of my franchise IP action movies where it has a wholly original take on it but it's still within this franchise IP universe of Predator. It's true. Very true. Uh, What's your number three? My number three was your something a little while ago. It was the Batman. Uh, The Batman. So you want to talk about it further? Yeah, we could talk about it a little bit here. Let's talk about, um, well, do you think now, after it's been several months, do you think, um, I mean, would you put this as your second favorite Batman? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I might put it third behind Batman Begins because I love the Nolan movies. But, um, you know, Matt Reeves really taking the world's greatest detective aspect of Batman to heart. You're, you see so much of David Fincher in this movie. It tries to be as grounded as possible. Um and while it is long, I never once felt the length. Um, I thought that the right amount of characters, you know, Paul Dano probably doesn't get to cook long enough. Um, Colin Farrell probably doesn't get to cook long enough. Um, but regardless, I thought um, just like to make it to make Batman even darker and grittier and grounded. It's like you didn't think it was possible. And I thought Matt Reeves, who mainly did the Planet of the Apes movies, did an excellent job. And I loved his take on, on this movie. Yeah. I mean, there's really not a whole lot more to say. Besides, I'm very excited to see what he's going to, with that Penguin series coming up. Yeah. Um, with Colin Farrell, right? Yeah. And that could be on HBO Max. That should be pretty good. <sighs> I think there's like talks that the HBO may cancel with this merger. And with that would be sad. Um, James Gunn and this new guy coming in. I don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, I mean, I hope so. I, I love, I mean, Farrell just absolutely killing it and unrecognizable as the penguin and 10 pounds of latex on his face. Definitely. Um, but overall, just like, I mean, like it was top top five movie i mean of the year i mean if you're going and we brought this up before that top gun might get some um academy award nominations i would find it very upsetting if top gun got some and this movie didn't get any yeah i think this movie is far superior to top gun yes very far superior and i also think it's things that so h like very quickly this movie left theaters and went on hbo i think if the studio was smart and just left this in theaters as long as possible it would have made even more money. 
And therefore, like, part of the reason Top Gun is in the conversation is like, oh, well, people saw it and everybody loved it. I think people would have had a great time in the theaters if they just kept it longer. No, I, I mean, selfishly, I was happy they pulled it so we can see it earlier. But um, but still, from financial perspective, I think they should have kept it longer. This this movie very quickly left theaters, and I'm not quite sure why because it, it, this actually did make money and was making money. What do you got for two? Is this your number one, The Banshees of Inishirin? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about it now? Yeah, we'll talk about it now. Hold on a second. Before we talk about it, I've been liking this part a lot lately. Well, put that stick outside anyways, and don't be bothering the women. There's women. There's women. And good ones. Speaking <laughs> of uh, the Batman and Barry Keegan. Yes. Uh... I've never seen a movie, and it's been a long time that I've seen a movie that really... I'm still trying to figure out what this movie is like. What's, it's not really about... It's not about a whole lot, but like... It's about friendships, man. But like, it is, but like... It's not like... it. it it's just like, it's so cool the way that he plays it off, though. Because it's like, it is, but it's like so nonchalant. But there's fingers getting cut off. You know, I even had somebody tell me that he tried to watch it with his dad, and the dad had to walk out of the room after about a couple fingers being cut off. And I'm like, I'm watching this movie. It's not bad, like that bad. But still, I mean, it's pretty cool that, that the movie has that different kind of uh, raging emotions. Yeah, this is uh, Martin McDonough's fourth movie, his second one with Colin Farrell and um, Brendan Gleeson in it. It's currently streaming on HBO Max. It didn't do quite well in the theater, and that's a shame because, man, this this movie is. Yeah, I don't even know why it's that good. I just think Martin McDonough is such a good screenwriter. And you're easily able to be immersed in this world. And Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are so good at spitting out McDonough's dialogue. Um, Barry Keegan, or Keoghan, as the actual village idiot, um, is... uh, yeah, like real women. <laughs> He's, I mean, all four actors with Carrie Condon, they all got Golden Globe nominations. I think they all deserve Oscar nominations. I think this movie is just absolutely incredible. It was my number one for the longest time after I saw it. Um, and I just like, it's just, it's brilliant in its simplicity. You're just chilling on this island off the coast of Ireland in the early 20th century. And, you know, it explores, like, um, I think the duality of Martin McDonough of, you know, trying to, you know, have serious artistic ambitions versus also just dicking around and drinking all day. (laughs) That's true. It's it's kind of represented in this friendship of Brendan Gleeson, who takes this ultimatum definitely too far. Yeah. Something really, really, really ridiculous on my part is like I turn to my wife and I go, man, I want to go and live in this village. They don't got any cars. This is cool. And she's like, I don't think it's like in this time period. And then I look it up and I'm like, you're right. It's like the 1930s. (laughs) But I was like, wow, just those pathways. And they're just like walking along. I'm like, this would have been pretty cool to live back then in that that place. Yeah. And some respects this is better to be seen on hbo in the sense that you can turn on subtitles that was like my one gripe (laughs) of like seeing this movie in the movie theater which i absolutely don't regret um but uh quite thick irish brogues from these actors yes Um, yes 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 a lot of feckin (laughs) 
the don- just that donkey. Just Colin Farrell. Just the way he just doesn't let it go. He's just like, it's just ridiculous. You know, I, I haven't seen The Whale yet, but I mean, Colin Farrell's definitely right up there for, you know, the contending for best actor at the Oscars. Um, I mean, I think he's done an incredible job. I think it'll be worthy of this performance and after an incredible career. And I kind of think he's had such a great past 10 years, a little bit of, you know, he doesn't get that Matthew McConaughey, but I kind of think he deserves it because he's made such smart decisions and hooked himself with dark directors like McDonough and the aforementioned Yorgos Lanthimos guy, Richie. He's great in the gentleman. Um, I kind of think it's just like, it's a movie. It's, it's an adult movie. It's well acted. It's fun. Um, and more people should see it. Definitely. Uh, so that was your number one, and my number one we alluded to. I think this was like your number six. And it's my a... number two we already talked about was Prey. So oh, sorry, could, yeah. So you now know? we could just we could. I think we're we're left with our number ones. It's uh, Damien Chazelle for me. Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Yep. There it is. What was it for you? It was uh, Banshees of Irishman. It no, was... no. What what is Babylon on? A uh, Babylon for me was uh, number seven. Yeah, I I friggin' love this movie. I still I can't to watch it more. I mean, I know when I watch it more, you know, that's the reason. I, I can't wait till it's hopefully it'll be out on Paramount within the next couple months. Yeah, very famously, this movie did absolutely atrocious at the at the box office. The initial critical reception was very very bad. It's got like a fifty five percent. It's technically run on Rotten Tomato, but I think. From like what I get, and maybe this is just my small bubble. There's like I've a lot of podcast. There's half a podcast I've listened to where it's like, yo, Babylon is dope. Like I actually watch Babylon, um, and it gives me hope that it'll do well at the Oscars because the people who I feel like there's a lot of people like me who like not only do they love this movie, they absolutely love this movie. So there will be a good contingent of people who will put this on their best picture nominees and if you can get a like a loyal group of people like if you get enough of those people because the academy is now pretty big that it can force its way into the best picture conversation um i also think this is 100 percent a movie that in 10 15 20 years as the years go on people are just going to love this movie more and more i mean the criticism we talked about it i mean we did a whole episode about babylon but the criticism that this movie is overstuffed, I think, is is silly. Um, this movie is like, in some aspects, it's the personification of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt are just absolutely incredible. Um, they both got Golden Globe nominations. I hope they get Oscar nominations. Um, I'm just like blown away by the filmmaking of this movie. I think Damien Chazelle, we talked. I talked before about shots like with Robert Eggers, like Damon Chazelle really fucking goes all out. This movie has owes so much influences to Tarantino and to Martin Scorsese and to Paul Thomas Anderson. And in some ways, this is like a the quintessential dude movie. <laughs> uh, very sexy looking Margot Robbie in this movie. Um, a lot of drugs in this movie, a lot of over the topness of this movie. And I kind of think this is a borderline masterpiece. I, I'm just, I'm blown away by Babylon. You know, I think it's something I've been reading about a lot lately. Um, a whole aspect of movies that have been taken away is the whole 
rental, like going to the video store and renting movies. Because a, a long time ago, what would happen was is if it wasn't successful at the movie theater, it would generally a movie like this would super, super, super be successful on VHS, hundred percent at the video store. You know, and that's where kind of like I'm like, oh, I can't wait for it. it's on Paramount. That's not going to do it any justice to get it that 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 revenue that it deserves. I've also been looking a lot lately, especially within since we had that uh, conversation last week about um, this movie, about how much some other movies cost that don't even look like they cost as much as this movie does. Like, I mean, like eighty-five million dollars isn't really a whole lot when you look at how big it looks. I just I like <laughs> the movie a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. I have reported that apparently that eighty million is a little bit underreported. Oh, <laughs> this movie may have cost even more than that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Damien Chazelle lost a lot of Paramount's money on this movie. Um, but to me, it's a shame. Like this movie is essentially like this generation's Boogie Nights in a sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's just as ambitious. I think it's just as fun. I think it's just as entertaining. It's just it's coming out in a time where you're right, like. I don't think Boogie Nights was super popular, but you know what? I guarantee you a whole lot of people were renting it from Blockbuster and, and checking it out. Like That's that whole it. DVD market that, sh- that should exist for this movie just isn't. That's it. And it's unfortunate. And like on, on some level, like so 2022, we got movies. I mean, on our list is like Martin McDonough and Damien Chazelle um, and Robert Eggers. And, you know, Steven Spielberg and Mendes and, and James Gray. And, like, there's a lot of filmmakers that put out movies this year. I mean, we didn't even talk about filmmakers because they made films we didn't like or see or enjoy. Like uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and Yuritu and um, Noah Baumbach. Like, 2002 is, like, going to be a good year for directors. Like, basically, if um, Killers of the Flower Moon, which was supposed to get released this year, had gotten released, like... This would have been the year of like every like director that we love put out a movie basically in 2022. That's true. Um, so on I some aspects next year too. A lot, a lot next next year. There's a lot of next year too, and you know, on some level, like if you look solely at 2022, it's like man, look at how many good filmmakers. You know, we didn't talk about Tar because you and I aren't the biggest fans of it, but Todd Field got to make a movie that he hadn't had to make in 20 years, basically. Yeah. A lot of filmmakers got to release a movie in 2022. So from that aspect, like we should be praising this year. Um, But man, it it does worry me that like nobody saw these movies and it's not even just Babylon, but like nobody saw Tar. Like I didn't like Tar, but it's on a lot of people's best of lists. And I just feel like if it's on that many best of lists, like people should be seeing it and they're just not. Like nobody saw the Banshees of Inishirin. It's the people that people insane. really like. Generally, what would happen is, is when these movies nobody saw get, the Fablemans. When these movies get re- when these movies would get Oscar nominations, they re-release them. Then people would see them, but people aren't going to the movie theaters. So even when, if they do re-release these movies and they do get Oscar nominations, they're not going to do much more than what they're doing right now. But what's unfortunate is that, like this is the type of season where even though so like yeah like people younger than us and Gen Z just like basically aren't going to the theaters anymore which stinks yeah but then it's also like there there was a segment of an older population who were seeing movies or like would see these prestigious films and they're not seeing these movies either so like man if nobody is paying to see movies I don't know like 
I do have this like existential dread of like what's going to happen to the thing I love so much. Like, you know, I think maybe in the short term it'll just be you either like really it's going to be you get three million dollars to make a movie or you get a hundred and fifty million dollars to make a movie and there's really no middle. Like, there's no middle now, but that middle really drops off. But man, I don't know. I it, it sucks because like these streamers have disrupted the system so much that they've they've killed this art form that I love. You are not wrong. You know, and I could remember the very first time I picked up the um like the red box or the Netflix when they used to send it in the mail. And I was like, what is this disc? And someone's like, they could just send it to you. And I was like, that's cool. But then it's kind of like the iPod. It's like, this is cool. But then all of a sudden you don't really think about all the things you'll be losing because of thatness. But and it's just like on, on some level, like, yeah, there's only one company that was gonna give Martin Scorsese $160 million to do his weird movie about trying to de-age Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. So on the end that aspect, like I'm happy, but like if Netflix is now has like I think they just have poor taste in general, and now they're really in the business of like, why are we trying to like buy these prestigious films like man that really is like leaving this industry like i don't know if it's going to show up in 2023 or even 2024 but i do look at all these great movies that got released or at least movies that like should more people should watch and just man nobody saw movies like if steven spielberg is having trouble having people seeing movies like crap like I'm sure Avatar The Way of Water is fun. I don't want movies that are solely Avatar. That's true. I don't want only Marvel movies and James Cameron movies and Star Wars movies. I want more movies like Banshees of Inishirin. And even a movie I didn't even like that much. I want more Tars. That's true. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, let's... I'm not, I don't want to end it on that too much of a dour note. Um, I'm going to recap my... my 10 through 1. Do it. Uh, number 10 is RRR. You can see it on Netflix. Number 9 is Beyond the Infinite 2 Minutes. You can see that on Amazon Prime. Number 8 is Cha-Cha Real Smooth. You can see that on Apple TV+. Plus. Number 7 is My Policeman. You can see that on Amazon Prime. Number 6 is Vengeance. You can see it on Peacock. Number 5 is The Batman. You can see that on HBO. My number four is The Northman, which is on Peacock. Number three is Prey on Hulu. Number two is The Banshees of Inishirin, which can be seen on HBO. And my number one is Babylon, which is currently in theaters. All right. My number 10 was The Menu. My number nine was Smile. My number eight was Top Gun. My number seven was Babylon. My number six was glass onion my number five was northman my number four was barbarian my number three was the batman my number two was prey and my number one was the banshees of inishirin yeah not as considering our movie taste not a surprise that our top five like really lined up pretty well yes 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 and i'm you know curious like you said once we see some of those other ones if it changes at all I'm I'm super looking forward to Armageddon Time, which is like a film like no one is talking about, but I hear it's basically James Gray's version of his childhood and struggling up to come 
like to terms with his privilege in like the like seventies or eighties in New York. Um, I've heard him talk about it and, uh, man, I feel like that's a movie like no one's talking about cause it's like too small for even a, like Oscars conversation that I think is coming to Peacock's or I think it's coming to a streamer soon. If you, if you take away two hours of the two hour and 10 minutes of white noise, you may have something good in that movie. You may. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, that LCD sound system song at the very end. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. You keep that ending and then like the part where they're at the camp and it's like kind of going crazy and then everything else, you kind of get rid of that and put something better. You might, you might have a good movie. We'll talk about it more though at a later time. Do you want to, do you want to save our white noise conversation for next week? Oh, we are. That was just our little bit of a preview of our, our white noise for next week. I think so. Do you want to, do you want to talk about the menu right now, or do you want to save our full conversation for next week? We'll save the full conversation right. for next week. And I think she said it is coming to Peacock on the 6th. Which we'll watch so, that, too. We'll talk about that, too. So lots of movies to talk about then for our next episode. Um, thank you so much for listening to our top 10 of the year. We have a letterbox account that you can check us out in. Tony's doing a dope job on Instagram. You can check us out. We have a Twitter. Um, and... If uh, you are listening to the, watching this on YouTube and just want to hear the audio version, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Um, hopefully we gave you some great recommendations for you guys to check out some TV shows and movies that you may have missed. Um, we enjoyed telling them to you. My name is Adam. You can find me on Twitter at Millennial Socks. Chew my food, my mouth closed, laughter fucking jokes and Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, my name is Tony, and I'm at the Sugar Baggy, and we will see you soon. Thank what kind you. So that kind of compliment was that shit. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought I had the one that said, uh, "My name is Paul, and this is between y'all." And then I was like, "Wait a minute, chew your fucking food. This isn't what I wanted to play." But it's still know. Pulp Fiction. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, watch Pulp Fiction if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's, we always watch Pulp Fiction. All right, have a good week. Peace out. Peace.